Another Way to Play, episode 101. You can't just sit around and think your way into a new life. You definitely have to take the first step. And that's when things start to fall into place. But you're not going to have that experience until you, you know, like leap into the void. Hey, guys, this is Dr. Steve Taubman, bestselling author and international speaker. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend Hans Strazina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is Dr. Steve Taubman. He's a best-selling author and world-class speaker that has dedicated his life to showing people how to thrive through their challenges. Starting off, he actually had a 14-year career uh, owning a very successful chiropractic practice in Vermont uh, and tells a story early on in our interview about how he was at a a chiropractic event. There was a kind of a rah-rah encouragement speaker, and he was sitting in the back and realized that it was time to sell the practice. He got up, made a phone call to somebody that he found in the back of a magazine and started the process of preparing it for sale. Uh, Through that, he got into some really different uh, spaces, which included hypnotism. Uh, Yeah, you heard that right. So he was actually on MTV Spring Break hypnotizing people on stage. For those of you who remember uh, those MTV specials during the summer, you may have actually seen him hypnotizing Spring Breakers down in uh, Cancun or something. Anyways, he talks about having this one gentleman up on the stage um, who he uh, hypnotized him to say that there was a wall in front of him that he couldn't get past, and he couldn't get past this wall. There was kind of this moment that Dr. Steve realized that the wall that he kind of created in this hypnotized uh, person on stage actually is something that all of us go through and has since dedicated his life to studying and helping others break through those walls and those barriers. Uh, so guys, this is one you're definitely going to want to uh, learn about relative to mindset mastery and really just getting to know yourself and uh, getting some really great practical tools and advice on how to uh, break through the walls that you're going through. If you get value out of this episode, please head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review because it really helps me grow the show and uh, get a ton of great feedback because I do read all of those and try and implement the suggestions that you guys make. So thank you so much for that. And without any further ado, let's just get into it with Dr. Steve Taubman. Dr. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really excited to have you on. Awesome being here. Thanks so much, Hans. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. Um, really excited to get into talking to you about the books and the speaking engagements and all the stuff in between um, that we alluded to in the intro. But before we do that, let's just back up and build a little bit of context for the audience so they know uh, where your journey actually began. Yeah, well, thanks. I, um, I've had kind of an eclectic background. I was a chiropractor for 14 years 
uh, ran a large sports medicine practice in Vermont. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it, it was uh, successful and I did really well with it, but I reached a point in my practice where uh, something inside of me called out and said, this isn't where I want to end up being. Uh, I was doing well, everything was good, and yet I still felt unfulfilled. Um, I think you could probably relate to that experience. You know, a lot of people I think do, and a lot of times we get really caught up in the, uh, the identity that we've created for ourselves, and it's hard to like detach from it. And that was definitely true for myself. I butted my head against the wall a few times too many and tried to force myself to like what I was doing and uh, went to seminars and went to uh, conferences and kept on trying to pump up the enthusiasm. And um, it kept on kind of sliding back down. And I guess I finally figured out that it wasn't my ultimate purpose in life. Can you unpack that just a little bit further? Because I think that's a really interesting point because especially when you're in an entrepreneurial venture, you there's going to be times when it sucks and it doesn't feel like a good fit, right? But yeah. at a certain point, as you said, you just realized it wasn't a good fit for you. Um, like, where do you draw that distinction between like, it's hard and I want to give up versus this is actually just not where I want to spend my time and energy? It's an outstanding question. It's a question I cover a lot in my procrastination program because we talk about the things that keep people from, from moving ahead. And there are eight subconscious uh, motivators or demotivators. And the last one on the list is what I call emptiness, which is that sense of deflation or emptiness that you get when you're not on your correct path as distinct from uh, anxiety or overwhelm or any of the other things that might stop you in your path. And what I say is that's got to be the last stop on the train. You got to first do everything you possibly can uh, to see if you could uh, replenish your enthusiasm and maybe do a little internal uh, processing and figure out if maybe there's uh, there's some kind of an invisible wall, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about today anyways, beginning to understand what happens when you reach the edge of your comfort zone and what do you do with that? Are you kind of being thrown off course by it or are you, you, know, are, are you using it as, a, as an opportunity to grow versus just bailing out? which is entirely different from what my experience was because I'd had a chance to do all of that first. Right. You know, and then finally uh, what became clear to me was that um, it was almost like uh, this sort of universal pull. It's this sense of that there's something else. I don't know why or exactly what, hmm. but it was just, that, let me tell you how clear it was in fact, Hans. Okay. I was sitting at a, I was sitting at a chiropractic uh, conference. There was a motivational speaker on stage, a very famous one. Uh, who was a big uh, advocate of chiropractic, and he was pumping everybody up, saying, this is, you know, you're great. You're doing so much great work in the world. You should be so proud of yourselves. And everybody was like pumping their fists in the air and feeling excited. And I wanted to feel that way. Mm -hmm. I really, I felt like I needed to feel that way, and I didn't feel it at all. And at that moment, and this was, you know, now years had gone by during which I had tried to get back up on that, on that horse. Mm -hmm. I literally, I had a magazine, I was in the back of the room, which was another indication that I was kind of losing steam because I was one of those front of the room kind of guys. Right. And I took out my, uh, this chiropractic magazine and I turned to the back of the magazine and I found an ad for a company that evaluates practices to sell. Mm. And I got up and I walked out of the room in the middle of the conference and I went to a payphone and I called the company and I said, I'm selling my practice. All right. There you go. It was just that. It was completely, you know, unquestionable at that moment. And it set me off on a, on a journey that I'm so glad I got to go on. 
I was just going to say, there's clearly some, you had clarity after 14 years to realize like, hey, this just isn't working. I mean, it's different than if you were in it for about 14 minutes and then decided that you, were, <laughs> this is not what you wanted to do, but you were in there for 14 years and, and had really experienced at a deep level. That being said, you know, someone might say like, oh, you know, Dr. Steve, you spent 14 years at something that wasn't a good fit. Like, why'd you stay in it so long? So to you, like, was, were you in it too long or did it take you some time to really just work through some stuff and learn and then grow as a person to move beyond the practice? Well, you know, of course, there's going to be some people saying I stayed too long and other people who, who will say I didn't stay long enough. And so there's never the right answer. I will only say that um, I stayed probably a little bit longer than I perhaps should have. Um, I don't think that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe two years earlier, I don't think there's any way I would have made that kind of decision. It required more, maybe a little bit more suffering, but also more uh, introspection and more willingness to you know, try to go deeper into it. And all the stuff that I learned along the way was valuable. I'm glad I did all that stuff. Yeah, there's silver linings everywhere. And it's a matter of perspective, certainly. So you decide to sell the practice. You, you walk out of this conference where there's this rah-rah moment and you're like, pay phone, I'm out. <laughs> Beam me up here. Um, and so then where did that take you after you decided to actually sell and then, and then I'm assuming successfully sold the practice? So I had a very successful sale of the practice about one year later, which was, you know, it's about par for the course, getting things squared away and ready and finding the proper buyer. Once I sold the practice, I um, jumped on a plane, went to Guatemala. Wow. And I spent, uh, spent a few months in Central America studying Spanish and having my own personal vision quest. Uh, it was a really transformative part of my life. Another part that I'm glad that I, that I had and had some remarkable, magical experiences while I was there uh, that were affirming and let me know I was on the right path. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the other things that I, that I tell people who are, um, you know, kind of uncertain about whether it's time to make a transition in their lives, uh, that once you're sure that it's time to go and you really commit yourself 100% to the next step, the universe becomes a very interesting place. Hmm. A lot of things start to happen that cooperate with the decision you've made. And you'll have um, just unusual uh, meetings and, and uh, fortuitous opportunities that you wouldn't have had had you not gone into it with, with commitment. Can you give us an example of one of those when you just sounds like something interesting happened in South America? Okay, so I get to Guatemala. I'm walking the streets of Antigua, which is a lovely little colonial city with cobblestone streets and very high concrete walls. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm there now, I think, for maybe 24 hours. I'm walking down the street, and what do I see down the street but a shingle for a chiropractic office? Hmm. I think, well, that's interesting. I should go over and, and meet whoever's in there. And I went into the office, and um, the chiropractor who was there, he didn't have an, a, an office manager. He was just there by himself. His name was Todd. You know, a very Spanish name. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said, uh, I said, hi, I'm Steve. I'm a chiropractor from the United States. And he said, uh, I haven't had, I haven't seen another chiropractor for six months. Can you give me an adjustment? So, so we all went into his treatment room and I treated him. I gave him an adjustment. And then we came out into the waiting room. And as we got to the waiting room, there was somebody else new sitting in his waiting room. And the guy stood up and he put his hand out to me and to, he wasn't sure who the chiropractor was. He said, uh, hi, I'm Steve. I'm a chiropractor from the United States. I said, wait a minute. I'm Steve. I'm a chiropractor from the United States. I said, where do you practice? He says, well, I don't. I just sold my practice. Huh. I said, well, I just sold my practice. Uh, where did, you know, and I said, how long did you practice for? He says, 14 years, which was how long I had practiced for. Wow. 
So this is getting very bizarre. I said, let's go have lunch and talk about this. We walked out on the street. Uh, it was a bright, sunny day. We both had little backpacks. We both reached into our backpacks to take out a hat. We take out the exact same hat. Wow. Go back to the room where he's staying in order to pick up um, some, you know, his wallet so we can go out and grab something to eat. And I go into his room with him and sitting on his uh, dresser is a book called How to Win by Quitting, which was a book that I had read that kind of helped me kind of conclude for myself that it was worth making that leap. Wow. And I said, not only did I love that book, but I'd also call and spoke with the author at length. He said, so did I. <laughs> we come to find out there were probably about 20 other coincidences like that, but it turned out to be one of these remarkable one after another, after another, we became very close, we became good friends. We supported each other in a lot of endeavors since then. But I think the funniest part of the story is when I got back to the United States and, um, I decided that the next leg of my journey was going to be to hop in my airplane. I was a private pilot and had a small plane and travel across country. And I was talking to the person who bought my chiropractic practice, John. And I said, I'm getting in a plane. I'm going to fly across country and visit friends and family along the way and have an adventure. And he said, where are you going? And I said, my first stop is Montana is where Steve is in Montana. He said, uh, where in Montana? I said, Bozeman. He said, I used to live in Bozeman. He said, no kidding. I said, well, my friend is a chiropractor there. He said, what's his name? I said, Steve Forte. He said, he was my chiropractor and my best friend bought his practice. Oh my gosh. This is weird. It's like, it's like some alternative universe stuff happening here. This is so bizarre. Oh yeah, totally. And you know what? I've, that is certainly the weirdest thing that's ever happened in, in that, you know, dense a sequence. But I have noticed that when I'm on the right track, a lot of those things start to pile up. A lot of these kind of like, oh, I was thinking about you and then there you are. Or I was looking for this resource and the resource appears. Yeah. I, you know, I don't like to get too new agey or metaphysical about it, but somehow maybe it's just that our minds open up and we see opportunities that would have been there anyway. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm a big believer. And the reason I even bring it up, not to, you know, make it seem too weird, but I think that if there's anybody out there who's considering their next step in life, I think it's worth knowing that it's okay to be optimistic yeah. about um, making the leap. And to, you know, put it out there, like you could have just as easily stood up out of that conference room where the rah-rah thing at the clinic was going, saved, you know, ripped the page out of the magazine, saved that number and never called and just had an intention to, right? Yeah. But you actually dialed the number and then you went through all the steps for a year and then it sort of led you in this place through action, you know, not just any action, but something that was hopefully guided by, you know, intention and intelligence and what have you. But actually moving the needle and moving forward on something and then actually following through on some of it just to, as opposed to leaving it up into your brain yeah, and having it just be a concept or an idea or maybe a someday kind of thing. You know, I recently was, I'd come up with an idea for an invention, which as it turns out, somebody else had already invented, but <laughs> it was, so it never went anywhere. But uh, I was speaking with uh, Alex Stern, a friend of mine, and Alex is the founder of Constant Contact. Oh, wow. So, uh, so he's you know, a very successful business professional, and he's also an innovator, and he was a good guy to call up and talk to about this. And I told him the idea, and I said, you know, I, you know I've got to look, and I don't think anybody else has had this idea before. But he said, well, you know, I read that at any one time, 7,000 people are having the same idea. Hmm. He said, but only one of them is taking action. Right. Yeah. So that's the name of the game. It's like you can't just sit around and think your way into a new life. You definitely have to take the first step. And that's when things start to fall into place. But you're not going to have that experience until you, you know, leap into the void. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. So you, and, and that analogy that Alec gave you just there was, 
I think is really interesting because we all think our thoughts and our experiences are super unique, but you start to go into, I don't know, something like a patent or something like, you know, uh, a psychology book. And you realize that we all are actually pretty similar and we can all kind of think and act and react in very similar ways. Um, and so, and the difference there, especially in a business setting is often the people who just take action and, or talk to somebody about it or put the intention out into the world in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, you're certainly right about the universality of psychology. I mean, there, you know, there, everybody's got their own unique spin on it, but the truth of the matter is that there are templates for behavior there. You know, there's a model, an overarching model. This is what I talk a lot about in my books is what is the overarching model uh, that has a tendency to either lead us toward happiness and success or lead us toward misery and failure. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of it has to do with um, the relationship that we form with our own thoughts and emotions. So where along the line did the books and the speaking engagements come in? What, cause you started out after your trip to South America, flying to, to Bozeman and then on to other places, it sounds like, but where did all the speaking and the, and the writing come into play? Well, I had an opportunity to learn about stage hypnosis years ago, and it was something that came along after I left my chiropractic practice, and I became a stage hypnotist doing uh, big shows on large stages, and I got pretty good at it. I became the, I was the official hypnotist for MTV Spring Break, and I was on MTV and MSNBC oh in Jamaica <laughs> and Barbados and the Bahamas, and I was doing all these like wild, crazy shows. And in the midst of one of those shows, and this goes back to, I think, 2002, maybe, or 2003. I was in Jamaica or Barbados and I had about 2,500 kids on the beach. Cameras are going and I, um, I took one of the subjects on stage. I think I had 25 people on stage. And I took this one kid, good looking kid, strong, built kid. He had blue spiky hair like a smurf. Mm. And, um, and I said to him, I said, um, when you wake up, three things are going to happen. I said, number one, you don't believe you're hypnotized even though you are. I said, number two, this is the worst show you've ever seen and you're aggravated with me. And I said, number three, there's an invisible wall three feet in front of you. So now I'd never done this particular routine before. It was completely off the cuff, but it it turned out to be the start of a new life for me because I woke everybody up and I said, how's everybody doing? And this guy screams, you suck. (laughs) I said, what's the problem? The guy says, the show's terrible. I said, well, then leave. And the guy gets up and goes, and he, he hits the wall. He can't move. And he starts pushing and pushing. And he's taking it very seriously. And he finally sits back down and he crosses his arms and he starts to pout. I said, what's the problem? He goes, nothing. I said, are you hypnotized? He goes, no. I said, are you having fun? He goes, no. I said, well, then why don't you leave? And the guy thinks for a minute. And he goes, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. <laughs> and I realized something really profound in that moment. I, I realized that's, in essence, Hans, that's all of us. Yeah. Right? We all have a place we're trying to go, hope, a dream, an ideal of uh, some untapped potential that we're trying to move towards. And we start moving towards it, and then we hit our invisible walls. Mm-hmm. And we push and we push, and we try to use force or effort to move through them. But force and effort don't work because the wall isn't really even there. It's only us pushing against ourselves. And the harder we push, the harder we push. So the recognition at that moment was the only way to overcome those, those limitations, you know, those beliefs and values and, and emotions that keep us from taking the next step is to rise above them, is to essentially wake up mm-hmm. in a very, almost like a Buddhist sense of the word, you know, to wake up, you know, kind of be more mindful, more self-aware that there is no wall. It just feels real. How do I find the place within my consciousness where I'm not at the effect of this persistent way of being? 
And so I wrote my first book, which was called Unhypnosis. How do you wake up? And you wake yeah, up yeah. and start over and create a life that, that, that suits you. It's really interesting because I, I mean, I, I probably honestly watched you on one of those MTV things because I always remember seeing those back in the day. And, um, yeah. and just always thinking like, what a ridiculous thing hypnosis is. It's like, it's got to be an act, right? And then as I've become older and gone through, you know, personal development and some of my own struggles and disappointments and you know, successes and everything else is like realizing a lot of the boundaries and the walls we put on ourselves and the stories we tell ourselves to your point are, are just self reinforced. And it's like that, that thing you just did where you're like, the harder you push, the harder you push relative to your subject on the stage in the wall. It's like, that's so true because it's, it feels real for you, but like everyone else is probably looking at you like, what the heck is wrong with this person? Why are they holding on to this thing? Or why do they think that they can't do whatever? And, and that's such a wonderful way to, um, uh, to explain it. I'm, I've never heard that before. And it's really got me my mind turning on that one. That's really cool. And when you start taking, because yeah, it's a simple metaphor. It's really the invisible wall. And that invisible wall is comprised of your thoughts, beliefs, emotions, values, et cetera, and self-limiting beliefs. And then you start applying that to your sales, uh, you know, your sales professionalism or your uh, productivity or, um, or your ability to meet a member of the opposite sex or anything that, you know, where again, somebody would say, why is it so hard for you? Well, because I'm pushing against myself because I'm still living inside of this self-made box. Well, I, you know, not so much self-made, but made by all of the influences when you were younger, when you ultimately became hypnotized. Right. And what do we need to do to unhypnotize you, to have you wake up from this? I had a guy today that I was doing some private work with who uh, at the age of six lost his uncle, who was only 12 years old at the time. It was his best friend, got hit by a train. Jeez. Yeah. And this poor kid, the six-year-old kid who was, you know, devastated by it, um, nobody around him would let him process his emotions. Hmm. It was all hush-hush, you know, we don't talk about this, we don't. And so this poor kid just bottled it all up and then, you know, developed all this pain, but also this sense that it's wrong to have feelings. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with me. And so now he spends his whole life with there's something wrong with me. And what, what happens when you have a belief like that is you start having experiences that you see through the lens of that belief that reinforce that belief. And the next thing you know, you've got a whole life's worth of things you could look back at and say, you see, I told you I was a failure. Mm -hmm. And it's all built. Self-fulfilling prophecy to some degree. Exactly. And it's all built on an erroneous, you know, it's built on a fallacy. It's built on a misinterpretation. It was a six-year-old who decided who you were. Like you wouldn't let a six-year-old decide who you are. No, no, definitely not. I mean, I went uh, after I went to the Olympics and we got fourth, you know, that to me represented total failure because we went to medal. And I've talked about this story many times, but I, among other things, went to therapy and um, not really sure what I was trying to learn there. But one of the things that sort of stuck out to me was the the therapist talked about my childhood, my 12-year-old self, six-year-old self, et cetera, like some of those formative ages. He didn't use the word reparent. That's something I've learned sort of after the fact. But, um, you know, bring that kid back into the fold and like, you know, support them as you would sort of a six-year-old and kind of retrain that person to that they're okay with, you know, that, that they are okay and it's okay to feel the way they felt and that sort of thing. And it's been a really bizarre 
uh, experience for me because it's something I never did until yeah. you know my late twenties or into my thirties now, and uh, it's it's been kind of wild, but certainly freeing in a lot of ways. Once I recognized that was what needed to happen. What I love about that is um, there's something. It's it, obviously it's a very metaphoric, you know. Um, one thing represents another. It's like you're talking to your inner child. I mean, there's no actual child sitting there, but it's right. it's a way of modeling the way you're communicating within yourself, and it works, right? You actually start to feel something that you know maybe you were you weren't given when you were younger, and you're starting to give it to yourself. Your parent, as you said, reparenting yourself, and it's going to make you a better parent mm-hmm. as well because you know you're more mindful of the potential damage that somebody can do. I mean, shame, insecurity, bad self-esteem. That's that's multi-generational. Yeah. People in shame raise people in shame. And it takes somebody who finally says, okay, I'm going to break the cycle and I'm going to change the way I look at who I am. I'm going to parent myself and give myself love. I'm going to forgive myself. And then I'm going to, you know, be more vulnerable with my kids and not be so, you know, you know, shamed people. They don't show their emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's weakness. So, you know, relative to this, um, hypnosis analogy or, you know, the sort of reparenting as we could call it potentially here where you're having this inner conversation, like you've used um, this idea of like, you have to kind of come up above it, the consciousness, you know, the Buddhist idea of like, of um, what is the waking up, waking up um, enlightenment is over here. There's, I can't believe I'm blanking on this word anyways. Yes. All of that. <laughs> and, um, okay. but like, how does one sort of go about tackling that? Cause to the person in the midst of it, the wall is real, right? The push and the push is real. Um, so how does someone go about actually waking up out of that and sort of rising above it to realize what's actually there or frankly, probably isn't there? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. That's what all my books are about. And because it is so hard to, direct yourself through that process. You know, it's really helpful to have a guide, a mentor, uh, a roadmap, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, if you look at the, uh, if you break down the steps involved in creating that kind of awareness and getting that kind of freedom from your old patterns, um, the steps are number one, um, to have a commitment to the process, right? Becoming happy, becoming peaceful, becoming unconditionally happy as opposed to spending my life in the rat race doing 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 and never stopping to look at whether my life is actually working that's a failed attempt that's that's a life that's going to become worse and worse and worse so first of all it's like choose happiness choose that not that i'm going to be happy right now but that happiness is the is the yardstick that i'm measuring my life against mm-hmm. and what are the you know and and the fact that if i'm not there that means there are steps to be taken so that's the sure. first thing second thing is um Am I just living a basically good life? I mean, if I have, you know, absorbed a a series of bad behaviors and I'm, you know, just lying, stealing, cheating, you know, being irresponsible, not telling people the truth, not living in integrity, um, that's, you're never going to get to a place of consciousness that way either. So the second thing, once you've made a commitment is to like clean up your act, clean up your act. The third, and of course you're an athlete, so you understand this, Mm -hmm. it's right. You could never have achieved what you've achieved um, in competitive athletics had you not cleaned up your act and said, okay, I can't, you know, have a drink whenever I want to. Right. I've got to, you know, wake up early. I've got to make my bed. I've got to have discipline. All of those things play a part in this process, right? And the third step is you have to sharpen your focus. And again, you'll recognize this in athletics as well. It's like a really good athlete is going to 
be distinct. A champion is going to be distinct from somebody who's not a champion based on the strength of their ability to focus, to stay the course Mm -hmm. and to not let their minds be distracted, to quiet that mind and just be here now. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? You meditate, you do drills, you go out and you walk in nature and don't let your mind wander. Or if you find it wandering, you bring it back. You'd find different activities that you do in such a way that there's no permission to just allow yourself to run off indefinitely into distraction. So focus exercises, bringing yourself into the here and now, right? So that's the third. And that's something that most people don't or won't do. But when they do, it has a profound effect on their abilities. So now if you've done that, you're aware that you want to get where you want to go. You've made a commitment to it. You're now, you know, cleaning up your act and living a good life. And now you're practicing focus. You're going to start developing a certain amount of wisdom. And you're going to start to see um, that the way you interact with the world around you and the way you interact with your own brain and your own thoughts and emotions is very different, right? Like, again, go back to you as an athlete. There are times I bet when you feel like, shit, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's just a thought. You don't believe the thought. You just know that it's resistance playing out. You've got what I would call a backstage perspective to it. Mm -hmm. Here's me and here's that thought as opposed to, oh, my God, I guess I don't want to do it today. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so that, that process leads you to a place where you get a lot of mastery, which is what I call the next part of this is what I call leaning in, right? Again, from athletics or even from war, look at, uh, I've got a friend who's a Navy SEAL. I've got another who's an army ranger, uh, you know, a hero with four, you know, uh, purple hearts. Wow. And what do they say? They say, embrace the suck. Yep. Right. Just go into it, right? Go into the depths of your own pain. So when you start like feeling irritated, aggravated, emotionally spent, uh, rather than thinking about it and thinking about it, you direct your attention through the focus that you've developed mm-hmm. into the center, the core of it, and you let yourself kind of move through it until it dissolves and dissipates. Yeah. Right? And then most importantly, you need a structure. You need uh, people around you. You need uh, uh, maybe a, a set of a set of uh, rules that you look at and follow. I was a pilot for a long time. If a plane ever lost power and it was going down, I wouldn't panic. What I would do is I'd pull down the visor and there was a checklist. Yep. Right. What's your checklist? What is the thing that you do when you start like losing your perspective and you losing your center, your core? Well, maybe you call a friend. Maybe you uh, do, you know, say a mantra. Maybe you uh, run around the block, whatever it is, you already got to figure it out. So you don't have to figure it out in the moment. Right. Yeah. Contingency plan on all that. And what I heard you talking about there is, is really, it's all self-work. It's stuff. It's like being curious inside, like remaining focused on something or, or leaning into something that's uncomfortable and, and discovering what's there, giving it shape, giving it something you can actually look at and touch and feel obviously metaphorically, but you know, you can engage with in a, in a way that's not just abstract and, you know, off in woo-woo land, right? Yeah, and that's that's great that you just said that. As a hypnotist, as a hypnotherapist, as a practitioner of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, that's almost exactly what I do with somebody who's got a fear or a phobia, is I have them, you know, notice the thing that, you know, have them envision the thing that causes the fear, and then as soon as they're feeling the fear, I have them turn their attention away from the thing that caused the fear and put their attention on the physical experience that the fear evoked so now they're, they're identifying with, they're fully associated to the pain. And then I have them experience it as if it were a shaped entity inside of them. It's got a size, a shape, a density, a color, a location. And now, like you said, now you can work with it. Now I could like envision making it smaller, throwing it away, dissolving it, 
watching it until it dissolves of its own accord, but it's something other than you. Yeah. And that's where the power comes from. That's, I thank you for breaking that down. That is, that's really, really well said. And it's clear that you've, you've done this a lot with a lot of different people. And if anyone wants to learn more, you know, down in the show notes is definitely the place to do that. Um, You've got a ton of resources and a ton of wisdom to share with us. So thank you for breaking that down. I do want to honor the rest of your day, Dr. Steve, and um, transition us into the last part of the show here. Uh, which is called the Focus Five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? I'm ready. First question, uh, what book have you gifted most often? My own book. (laughs) Which of your books? You have a couple. Yeah, my first book, Unhypnosis. I think I gave away tons of that. I've been giving away my new one, uh, Bulletproof, a lot lately. But I think think, uh, Unhypnosis still stands ahead of the others. And next to my books, I'd say probably the next book I've probably given out the most is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. That's a, that's a fantastic book as well. Um, all those are going to be linked up in the show notes, guys, so you can check those out, by the way. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Um, well, Eckhart Tolle might be one of those people I would ask. I'm now beginning to develop this sort of uh, bromance with um, uh, with uh, Russell Brand, who is, you know, this kind of lunatic English comedian who's also a brilliant philosopher mm. and just seems to have a lot of clarity that comes from a lot of suffering. And I think sitting down with him would be pretty remarkable. Another one I'd love to sit down with is Wim Hof. They call him the Iceman. And uh, I just, I, I love his energy. I love what he's done and how mm-hmm. he's proven yep. uh, through his own challenges, just how powerful and limitless the human body and the human mind are. I've done my fair share of uh, Wim Hof inspired cold showers. So I, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> All right, man, I've been working. It. I'm up to the two minute Ooh. mark now. And I'm, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. What is one thing that you believe that most people would disagree with you on? Well, like I said, don't believe everything you think. So I think that most people would disagree that your belief system is right or is wrong. I'd say that basically most people don't buy that. They think, I have experience. I know myself. I would basically say, you don't know yourself. You don't know. You know, I'm the hypnotist. I know what's really going on in your subconscious mind. I could tell you, you don't know yourself. Well said. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you like to start your day? I get up uh, usually about 7.45. I take Woody. I think you got a dog back there too, right? So Woody is my dog. He's with me yep, almost. I do. You know, I and mean, he goes with, with me everywhere. He's a wonderful little um, Labradoodle. Uh, and I've had, he's almost 14 years old. So we've been together a good long time. Oh, wow. And so um, before I get out of bed, I usually do a little kind of mini meditation experience where I just sort of check in with myself. I usually, you know, just from old habits, and old neurological patterns, I usually wake up a little bit depressed and anxious, but I usually just breathe through that. And by the time I breathe through it, I'm you know kind of over that. Mm-hmm. And then I do a little bit of gratitude, go into the bathroom, shower up. Well, I don't know if shower, but I you know, splash some water on my face, uh, get dressed, take Woody for a walk. And when I walk him, uh, my commitment is to uh, stay in the present. So you know, I feel like walking him is a major meditation practice. I watch him. Mm. I feel joy. I let him lead the way. He's not on a leash. So I'm always like sort of in Mm -hmm. a state of wonder about what he thinks is interesting. So he's my primary meditation in the morning. Again, I do a gratitude practice while I'm walking. It's usually trees, the sky, the, you know, Woody himself, the fact that I can breathe, the fact that I've got a brain and can interact with people the way we are now. Uh, And I just like really pump up the gratitude. Um, 
And um, then I usually come home and make some breakfast. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Um, we mentioned the books down in the show notes, but what is the best place online that we can connect with you the most? Could I give two answers? Of course. Okay. So one is my website, which has the most comprehensive overview of what I do because I'm a speaker, I'm an author, podcast, blog, et cetera. So you'll find a lot of resources that you could spin off if you just start with stevetaubman.com. So steve, T-A-U-B-M-A-N.com in the show notes. The other thing is uh, if you go to bestofsteve.com, bestofsteve.com is a landing page. And if you put in your email address there, what we'll send you is a digital download of the first chapter of my newest book, of Bulletproof. So it's a great way to kind of jump in, you know, try before you buy kind of a thing. Uh, you get a good sense of what the book is about. Bulletproof is basically about how can you be really resilient in your life? How can you be at your best when things are at their worst? Uh, and uh, it, I think it differs from uh, unhypnosis in that unhypnosis is really about reinventing your life like I did. And Bulletproof is more about max. It's like the question you asked me at the beginning. How do you know when it's time to leave? And how do you know when it's time to like work with what you've got and be happy with what you've got? Bulletproof is about the latter. Got it. Well, that obviously is all going to be in the show notes, guys. So really, really easy to find. Yeah, tons of great resources. Really, thank you so much, Dr. Steve, for coming on the show, being part of it and bringing so much value because I, I got a lot out of it and I know the audience did as well. Awesome. I appreciate that. And that's a wrap for today. Thank you guys so much for checking in and listening to the episode. If you want to connect with Dr. Steve, show notes is the place to do that. He's got a place for you to also download uh, the free first chapter of his new book, Bulletproof. So you want to go check that one out for sure. And if you want to connect with me, I'm also down in the show notes. All my social links are there. And I do have my own thing you can download for free. It's my power list. It's the thing that I use every day to stay on track and make sure I'm getting the most important tasks done. I developed it for myself pretty simply during COVID just to make sure I stayed productive and can tell you just the simple act of writing those three things down and executing on them every day has kept me really, really productive. So go check that out. It's down at the very bottom of the show notes. You can download your free copy of it there and hopefully provide you some value. So without any further ado, guys, I'm going to sign it off. This is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.